And uh, I want to invite you to open them up to Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35. If you don't have a Bible or you don't have your Bible app, um, feel free to um, follow along on the big screen in a minute. Hey, hasn't it been great, the teaching that's been great over the last few weeks? Scott, um, Scott Stevens brought this fantastic word of uh, the Advent season is, play, is a time of stepping up to the line of hoping in God again and trusting in God for his purposes and his plans. Uh, Dave Delaney came and brought a message on peace of the rule and reign of, of King Jesus and his peace. And then last week, Chris Gresham Britt from Toowoomba Vineyard Church Plant, he brought a great message on um, love. And he invited us to actually stop and take notice of what God's doing. Remember he had that little camera with him, his little camera? And, and, and the, the skill of a photographer is to actually notice what's in picture. And he encouraged us this Advent to stop and actually notice what God is doing in our lives with regards to his love and his kingdom coming. So, again, wanna, uh, if you haven't had the chance, you can drop back and visit those uh, messages on our PRV YouTube channel and, uh, and catch up on those. Uh, Advent is a wonderful season. It's a season of stepping both into the story of God's promise and hope being fully revealed in Jesus, in the birth of Jesus. And it's also this wonderful experience of having um, fresh hunger and expectation built once again within us by the power of the Holy Spirit for the return of King Jesus and learning to live in the dynamic tension of those two realities of God has come, God will come and learning to live in the, the tension of all of that. One of the things I'm going to be speaking about today is, is joy, the fourth theme of, of, of the Advent season and how in Jesus, the revelation of Jesus, there is a profound joy that can only come from God. Um, Recently, I was sharing with um, at uh, at the Vineyard Churches Australia conference. I was sharing a story about the night that I I got to introduce Nicole to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had the joy of leading someone to Christ, but I, I'm telling you that for Nicole and I, that's a big prayer that we are praying for all of you that over this next year you will have and enter into the profound joy of introducing someone to Jesus as their King and their saving Lord. That's our prayer for you. It's our Advent expectation that the King wants to bring his kingdom through people like you and me that introduces people to Jesus. But as I was reflecting on this um, story of, uh, or this moment of introducing Nicole to Jesus, it happened. We were only we'd only been dating for a little while, and the sec, our second date was going to church. And uh, I just I just assumed and 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 drew Nicole into my story of following Jesus that she might meet him. 
because I'm, I'm just a firm believer that when Jesus said it in John 5, 19, my father's always at work and so am I, I'm just living in the assumption that if King Jesus says, my dad's at work drawing people into the kingdom, then, then he's, he's doing that with even the people that we love that don't know him. He's always at work. And if you were here on Friday uh, during the memorial service for Lisa Smith, uh, this place was packed with people from our community who are being drawn to Jesus as a result of Jesus' love through Lisa. It was, it was quite profound what's going on. The Father's always at work. Anyways, um, so Nick and I, date two was come to church with me. Anyway, we're at church, couple of, you know, a couple, a couple of weeks in, and um, this guy, visiting evangelist, comes and shares this message about the good news of God in Jesus, and that everyone's invited to be personally in a relationship with Jesus as the king of their life and saviour of the world. And, you know, like, I'm not sure, but I'm sure most of you have sat in, a, <coughs> in an environment when there's an evangelist speaking. But when evangelists are speaking, they are just like, you know, they'll say things like, now I know the Lord's told me there's at least like, you know, eight people here, there's nine people here that are going to, that, that, the, that the Lord wants to invite into a relationship with. And, you know, they have just have this burning zeal and expectation that people are going to want to give their life over to God's love for them in Jesus. Anyway, so we're in this little church meeting not far from here, actually, just on the other side of the train line. And um, sure enough, the evangelist shares this great message and then says, now, there's people here that need to give their life to Christ tonight. There's, 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 a, there's a handful of you here tonight. There's probably six or seven of you t- tonight. And then, you know, so if that's you, just right where you are, just, just stand up and come down here right now. You know, I love how they do that. I love it. They're just... They're just working on the assumption that God's at work and they're joining in, you know? And they have this thorough expectation that, hey, God's stirring people to come alive to Jesus. And as they did that, you know, uh, I think out of the seven, I think there was five people stood up and came to the front. And then, um, then he go, you know, the, he says, yeah, no, there's, there's two more. There's a few more. I just know there's a few more people here who are ready to meet Christ tonight. And sure enough, a sixth person gets up and walks down, and I'm like praying. I'm saying, Lord, is tonight the night that Nicole might meet you, Jesus? And uh, deep down inside, I'm like, yes, Lord, let it be tonight. You know, now's a really good time. And uh, anyway, the evangelist says, there's a seventh, there's still one more. And I'm like, come on, Lord, come on, let it be Nick tonight. Come on, Lord. And then sure enough, the person sitting right in front of us stands up and goes down the front. I'm like, oh, okay, well, okay, Lord, you're obviously still working here. No worries. Anyway, we get in the car and we're driving home. And as we're driving home to Nicole's place, at her parents' house at Castledine, all of a sudden it got very quiet in the car as we're driving down the um, M1 and uh, she, I can hear her starting to cry. She was sobbing. And I'm like, what's up? What's going on? And she said to me, I was meant to give my life to Jesus there tonight. And I said, would you like to do that? And she said, yeah, I would. And so we pulled up in the driveway of her parents' house and I got the joy and the 
and just the absolute joy and thrill of being able to introduce Nicole to King Jesus for her personal Lord, her Saviour, and to enter into his kingdom. It was, a, it was an amazing moment. It was a moment where she, um, uh, there was a few things that were going on. If we can jump through to slide, Jake, if we can jump through to slide three, mate. There was a few things that was taking place in Nicole's life in that moment where the kingdom of God, the joy of King Jesus was being made known to her heart. There was these dynamics that took place. She was, hey, Jesus, here's Nick. Nick, here's Jesus. And I just kind of stood back and created a bit of room for, the, for that interaction to take place. And there was lots of tears. There was lots of, oh, God, I'm so sorry for the, you know, my life and the way I've been and, and the sin that I've been involved in. And I realized my need for you. Thank you that you forgive me. Thank you that you set me free. Thank you that you're inviting me into a whole new way of living life. All of these things... And then there was this massive stream of emotion, of mental health and renewal that was taking place for her. Physiologically, the power of the Spirit was touching her so that she was vibrating under the presence of God. And spiritually, she was laughing and crying. And at you know, most glances, you would have thought she was a bit all over the shop there. But basically, she was getting undone by the love of God and remade by the love of God, all in the one moment, being set free and yet at the same time being fully set on God and his love for her life. It was a fantastic moment. And so we finished praying together and she sort of toddles into the house and I jump in back, you know, in my car and driving back up the M1 to my place, um, you know, four, four windows down. It was a four-window-down occasion. All four windows down, radio, full. Ten, let's go, ten. Just pumped that thing up. I don't even know what was on the, on the radio. I just needed to be loud because it was reason for joy. It was reason for this joy of King Jesus alive in me, now alive in her. And so I just yelled out all the way down the highway. People driving past me, I'm just yelling out, God's good, Jesus is king, Nicole knows Jesus. You know, people are looking at me like, what is that strange guy doing? But anyways, there was this outworking of joy. If there is a, there is a, a primary um, earmarking signpost of the kingdom of God, of the reality of King Jesus, it's joy. It's joy. And we're talking more than just a, a mental or a physical or a spiritual or an emotional rush. We're talking way, way more here. And we're going to touch on that in a second. But simply to say, um, there's a great story there at the start of Luke's gospel where um, Zachariah and Elizabeth, who were pregnant with um, uh, John the Baptist, when Mary, who had just been told that she was going to bear the Christ child and she was um, conceived, Christ was conceived in her by the power of the Holy Spirit, she meets with Elizabeth, who is already pregnant, and John the Baptist, in her womb, Dr. Luke says, leaps for joy because of the presence of Jesus, even, even in utero. 
jumping for joy. There, this is a signpost of Jesus for the sake of the world, that joy would be known. Have you got your Bible? Let's go to the next slide. Thanks, Jake. Um, we're going to read Isaiah 35. And again, Isaiah is one of the, you know, the big guns when it comes to the Old Testament prophets. And um, there's a whole chunk of his writings in there. And uh, this is a beautiful, beautiful scripture where he is prophesying on promise, about promise fulfillment. There's this Advent expectation that Isaiah is writing about that God's going to come and restore his people to their rightful inheritance. Because the backstory to this point was they come out of Egypt, of course. They're standing in the desert. And what do they do after they get set free from Egypt? The first thing, and all of Pharaoh and all the gods of Egypt, they're standing there. They cross the Red Sea. And the first thing they do, having been set free by the love of God, is what? They sing. They sing. Moses and Miriam sing. And in, you can read about, I think it's, gosh, I want to say it's about Exodus 16 or 17, somewhere around there. And, but they sing this song. And they're singing this song with great joy. And they're singing it because God has set them free. But at the same time, notice where they are singing the song. They're singing the song in the desert. Hello? We've been set free. God's brought us out from all of the trappings and he's brought us into the desert. Praise God. He's brought us into the desert. They're singing at the top of their voice. Isn't that the way we, we, we sing like that, don't we, when we feel like we're in the desert? But they're singing at the top of their voice. See, joy is the profound work of God and it's not based on an emotional rush. It's not based on a mental um, rush. It's not based on a physiological experience. It's not based on anything other than the fact that they have centered themselves in the fact that God is saving the world and they've been caught up in it, irrespective of the circumstance. Sing for joy in the desert. You may be feeling like that today in the desert. It's not, it's not unlike God's goodness to touch you with a song to sing to him even when you feel like you're in the desert. Well, anyway, these, the story is they, as a nation of people, they get their land and they have their temple and it's all going good and the Spirit of the Lord is in the temple and the presence of God is with them, defining them as not, like no other people on the face of the earth. And then it all goes a bit sour, <laughs> Kings, rulers, judges, all that sort of stuff. It's a pretty dark period, really. And in the end, they get dispossessed of their land. And here's Isaiah writing to his people and singing to God in the midst of having been dispossessed of everything that they thought God was about to had, had for them. And so Isaiah starts to remind the people, and even as we read it this morning, God would be reminding us that he is writing a story of saving the world. And here is a prophetic promise, Isaiah 35. When the king and his kingdom comes, this is the expectation, okay, from the place of being dispossessed and into promise. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom 
Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. I don't know what your bit of creation is like when, where you live, but out the back of our house, man, that thing starts early and it's loud. Those kookaburras are up like 4.30 at the moment going off their nut. It's like creation is like it can't wait for the sun to get up so that it can sing to God and burst forth in life. Um, the glory of Lebanon will be given to it and the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way and say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you and then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped and then the lame will leap like a deer and a mute tongue will shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, in the streams, in the deserts. And the burning sands will become a pool. The thirsty grounds, bubbling springs in the haunts where jackals once lay. Grass and reeds and papyrus will go, grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that capital way, capital W, way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beasts. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. Those uh, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter into Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will be the crown on their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Wow, Isaiah's digging deep into the history like Scott told us on week one of the Advent series. We've got to go back to go forward. Isaiah's reminding them of the faithfulness of God's promise in the past and that he will come again and deliver them into everything that he's promised. This Advent, when it comes to joy, if we can go to slide five, thanks, Isaac. Uh, thanks, um, Jake. Um, slide five. Joy is the daily experience of being found and centered in the saving will and works of God in the earth. That's joy. That's joy. The daily experience of being found and centered in the saving will and works of God in the earth. That's joy. Isaiah reminds them of it. Just take, take a look at the, the prophetic work that God is not only through Isaiah saying will happen, but then is busy to bring about in the fulfillment of Christ. He says, they... Here's the will of God, will be glad people. They will rejoice. They will blossom. So wherever, they will burst into bloom. They will shout for joy. What's the will of God? We're always running around, what's, the, what's your will for my life, God? Here it is. Here is God's will for your life that you will be found and centred in the saving work of God in the world. 
You will see the glory of God. You will enter Zion, the kingdom. You will be crowned. You will joy will overtake you. <laughs> Man. Joy will overtake you and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Stepping into the joy of God's kingdom, hope and life. This Advent, it is God's will for you that as Isaiah prophesied, we too would be reminded of the heart of God for every single one of us and for every single one that we love that doesn't know Jesus yet and for our whole community where we live and the streets and our workplaces is that people all around us will come into the saving work of God in the earth and his will, that their life, they would know gladness and joy, that they would blossom, that they would burst into bloom and so forth. So just hold on to that, particularly that little bit there that we've highlighted in, um, or if we can go back one slide, thanks, Jacob, just particularly hanging on to that italics section there from verse 4. Just, just hang on to that in, in your mind for a second. So let's jump now to slide six. Thanks, Jacob. Now, we're going to run a whole bunch of the story through here now. Jesus has been born. Jesus is king. He's running around healing the sick and doing amazing things and declaring the kingdom of God is now here. And he's actually grabbed some of this Old Testament Isaiah-type stuff. Now, John the Baptist... He, he, he came before Jesus and he said, I'm not the guy, you need to look at him, he's the Messiah, follow him. Now John the Baptist is in a really tough predicament at this point where we're going to pick the story up. He's in prison and he's about to lose his head, literally, beheaded, to be taken off by the king. And so he wants to just make sure that he knows that he knows that if I'm going to put my life on the line for King Jesus and Jesus declaring that he is the king, I want to know that I know that I'm, it's him. He's the Messiah. He's the promised one. And so John the Baptist sends a little team out to go and find Jesus and the disciples. And they come to him and you'll pick up there in um, verse 20... His, his little posse, John's little posse, comes to Jesus. And in verse 20 there, they say, <clears throat> John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one or are we meant to wait for someone else? Or should we be expecting someone else? And at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses and evil spirits, uh, of evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. And so Jesus replied to them and he said this, go back and report to John what you've seen and you've heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised and good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus, Jesus here is grabbing the poetry and the prophetic hope of Isaiah. And he's saying, hey, John, this is it, man. 
this is it. I'm the one. Everything that was promised and prophesied would come in terms of the will of God, saving his world and everyone in it. It's me. I'm here. I'm the Messiah. I'm the King. Joy is Jesus. Joy is Jesus. Joy is knowing King Jesus. He is the one. To step into joy is, is to step into relationship with Jesus. There is no other one. There is no other source. There is no other provision. There is no other great philosophy, idea, or human elevated thought that can bring us into the saving work of God, save Jesus and Jesus alone. He is declaring I'm the fulfillment of everything that was promised and prophesied. Here I am, make no mistake. This Advent, joy is knowing Jesus. Step into relationship with him. Step out of all of the other forms and sources of things and ideas and possessions and relationships that are trying, you're trying to glean joy from and start giving those places, spaces and parts of you to King Jesus. Make no mistake, he brings the joy. Now, a little bit further on in the, in the good news story of Jesus as King, in t- with regards to joy, if we go on to slide seven, thanks, thanks Jake, Jesus uh, has now uh, been crucified, risen and ascended and he's, and he's said to his crew, hang in there for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord's going to come on you and you're going to go and make disciples of people. You're going to go and in, empower and equip people to do what Jesus does. And so one of the guys that that happens for is a guy called Philip in the book of Acts. Luke writes about him and um, Philip the evangelist. And you'll find this um, amazing story in Acts chapter 8. And, and you see, Joy, it would be really wrong of me to say that you are the end point of God's story. No. The end point is God's saving work for the world of which you are a part of. But you're not the end point. You see, God wants joy. His will is that you would bloom, you would, you know, be like a well-watered garden. Another, that was another prophetic word this morning. From Isaiah, that's Isaiah's language, again, in Isaiah 61, which is an amazing piece of scripture. You will restore things that have been broken and cities that have been long devastated and you'll be like a well-watered garden. You, you, it's God's will that we come into all of that for the sake of the world. Because remember, God is saving you, he's saving me, and he's saving the whole world at the same time. So Philip's there he, uh, in, in Acts chapter 8. Great little um, encounter here, but let me just grab it here. In Acts chapter 8. So things are getting a bit heavy for the people of Jesus right now, okay? 
the, the flick has been switch, the switch has been flicked. <laughs> the wahanga, huh? <laughs> I think I'm speaking in tongues. Um, anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, it's gotten a bit heavy and, and, and intense for the people of Jesus. They've been this, there's been this good news reality taking place, but all of a sudden at the same time, there's a lot of spiritual opposition to the fact that Jesus is making the claim, I'm the one that the world's always been waiting for. There is no other king, there is no other ruler, no other power. It's all about me as, as Messiah and Lord. And there's some powers that are at work that don't like that. And so anyway, there's a bit of pushback going on with the people of Jesus. But here's Philip the evangelist in verse 4 there. He says, it says there, Luke records, those who've been scattered, they preached the word wherever they went. What was the word? Well, the word was that Jesus is king. The kingdom has come. Good news. Repent. Change the way you think about God. Welcome his forgiveness in your life and come into his good rule and reign and your life will blossom, will shout. You'll have a crown on your head and you'll be joy and sorrow and flee, will flee away. All that stuff. Um, and these signs will follow you and so forth. Wherever they went, this was going on. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Messiah there. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And when the crowds heard Philip and they saw the signs that accompanied this proclamation that were performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. Because shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was great, what in the city? Joy. When the kingdom comes, it comes both with proclamation, it comes with that Jesus is Lord, it comes with demonstration of the power to set the captives free and heal the sick. And it comes with people coming into the saving will and works of God. And joy fills the city. Stepping into Jesus brings his good news kingdom to the world. To be filled with his joy is to be a vessel of his joy. Joy is on a mission. (laughs) The joy of Jesus is on mission through you even as it came to you, as, it, as he came to you. This Advent, when you sing that song, and we all, we all get in there and sing this song, joy to the world, what we're saying there is, hey God, take the joy of your lordship that you've placed in me and let it come through the words that I say and the things that I do in your name so that others would enter into the kingdom of knowing Jesus as Lord. Who will you be reaching out to this Advent, this Christmas, with the joy of King Jesus? Want to see a little more joy in the city? Open your mouth. Give your life to participating. And and give yourself away for the sake of the world. Now... Two last things. Next slide, thanks, mate. Slide eight. I, I, it's, it's worth pointing out. Wherever joy comes, wherever the kingdom comes, there will always be a context where there will want to be joy killed 
or killjoy. Have a look a little bit further on in the book in Acts 14. The Apostle Paul, he's, he's like, he's, he, he and Barnabas, they're doing these great things and people actually think that they're these Greek gods that have come down and they're gracing the earth and there's, these guys are ripping their shirts off and saying, hey, we're just human beings, you know, just like you. It's all about Jesus, the King, the Messiah who's saving the world. That's what's going on here. All these signs and wonders and things, it's God. And so he's explaining this to all these people. And then he says in verse 17 of Acts 14, he says, You see, God has not left himself without a testimony. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. And he provides you with plenty of food and he fills your hearts with joy. You know those profound moments when you didn't even realize it, there's this gladness of heart in the stillness of some moments. That's the work of God, reaching into people and drawing them unto himself. Paul's saying God hasn't left himself without an activity or a testimony. There's even a joy that's happening in your heart. And even with these words, they had difficulty keeping people from sacrificing to them. And then... Some of the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and they won the crowd over and they stoned Paul. <laughs> hey, let's, let's just sign up for this, eh? Use me, send me, thank you for the joy. Send me, Jesus, into what you're doing to save the world. And then they stoned him and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Now, to think someone was dead, you, you know... They've got to be showing some no-life signs. They thought he was dead. Now, that's not where the story ends. He wasn't dead. In fact, some of the crew came and picked him up and gathered him up and so forth, and he was fine, and on he went preaching again. But I share this point because joy doesn't come. The lordship of Christ doesn't come into our life and through our life in a vacuum. It's coming in the context of a great spiritual war where joy is overcoming all spiritual opposition and darkness. That's why you often find yourself experiencing killjoy when you're actually choosing to follow Jesus because it's violently opposed. This stuff is violently opposed to the joy of God's will saving his world. Lastly, let, let, actually, there's this great, great quote from um, D.L. Moody on the next slide. Thanks, Jake. <clears throat> he's, um, he's a bit of a fiery preacher in this. You've got to listen to this with grace on your ears. Don't, don't listen to it with, you know, old voices of condemnation or judgment. He's a bit of a fiery preacher, D.L. Moody. Good stuff here, but he says this. He's, he's basically giving, you a, giving a, the people of Jesus a bit of a poke here, saying, come on. Now, people should look for joy in the word and not in the world. In other words, he's talking about the, the scriptures. He says, they should look for the joy which the scriptures furnish. In other words, the joy that this testifies to is the lordship of Jesus. And they go and they work in the vineyard because joy that don't send me out to someone else 
a joy that don't impel me to go and help the poor, a joy that don't prompt me to visit the widow and the fatherless, a joy that don't cause me to go into the Sunday school or any other Christian form of work is not worth having and it is not from above. A joy that does not constrain me to go and work for my master, that's King Jesus, is purely sentiment and not real joy. <laughs> Thanks, DL. There's a bit of a, just a proke. Are, are we living in sentiment or are we living in the joy of having Jesus as Lord? Or are we just being sentimental? Lastly, it's Paul the Apostle wrote in the book of Romans. Last slide, thanks, Jacob. Uh, Why am I calling you Jacob? Um, Jake. Paul says in Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Paul understood that the, the, the person of the Holy Spirit is integral to a life of living in the joyous reality of God's saving love in the world, in the reality of Jesus as Lord. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. His fruit, one of his fruitful presence and signposts is joy. Paul the Apostle realised it and nearly in all of his letters, he, he says to all of these churches that he writes to, he says, we're praying that you would be filled and filled and filled again with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit brings joy. He connects and empowers you to King Jesus. Inviting the Holy Spirit to fill you with all joy this Advent. When we're praying that and when we're saying that, what we're saying is, Lord, with the help of your Holy Spirit, help us to know that we are in your will. Help us to know Jesus as Lord. Help us to live for the sake of the world. Empower us to overcome all spiritual opposition. And Lord, help us to always be filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Stepping into joy this Advent. Stepping into joy. Let's stand and pray.